Hey, happy new year. Happy new year to you, Tony. It's been a minute. <laughs> it's been a minute. How are you doing, Susanna? I'm doing pretty good. You know, we've, we've gotten our, our first really cold single digit couple of days, which mm-hmm. feels a little overdue. We had a very mild December. It's nice to see the winter weather finally arriving. <laughs> nice. Yes. Arctic blast. I believe it was called yesterday yes. as our local temperature was around nine. Well, I'm just excited that pond hockey is going to happen mm. and skiing is on the horizon. All of our wonderful winter wonderland pastimes <laughs> yes, going to be made soon. And I'm really excited because we are kicking off like a really awesome themed season of the solar spill. (laughs) I'm so glad to know that the horn section carried over. You didn't think you were getting away from the Susanna soundboard, did you? That's only going to increase. I love it because it has not so subtly replaced the Tav dad joke where like I was (laughs) the butt of the entire joke of this show. Now the horn section, I mean, this quality horn section can step in. Listeners, why don't you weigh in in the comments here? Do you love the horn section or do you want dad jokes back? Let's let the listeners decide. Yeah, send us an email at solarspill at suncomment.com and let (laughs) us know if the horn section uh, needs to go or stay. I'm going to vote stay personally. Welcome all of you to the Solar Spills Solutions season. It's really, really cool. We are going to be taking the next couple of months to sort of zero in on proposed solutions to elements of climate crisis. And we're going to be digging under the hood and evaluating them based on a number of different criteria, which we're going to explain in this episode. But before we do, before we get into the Solar Spill Solutions, Susanna, new year, new you like what's what's up what have you been seeing in the news like what's going on yeah same me same earth (laughs) same problems same bleak or inspired outlook however Mm -hmm. you want to look at it um netflix has been advertising don't look up to me the (laughs) DiCaprio jennifer lawrence allegory for climate change yes yes i haven't taken the bait yet but uh it does look, I mean, I like those actors. It looks, have you seen it? Oh yeah, I love the actors. Uh, Jay Lar and, you know, Leo D. I'm trying to, I'm trying to Jay Lar the Leo D. I clicked the bait. I started the movie. I did not, I wasn't, I wasn't able to stay engaged. I think like it, to me, I'm only a half an hour in. So obviously this is not the full Siskel or Ebert review. This is like, you know, hot take for the moment. I, you know what I think it was, Susanna? I think it was just like, I am the choir, not only on the climate issue, but also on the sort of the, one of the parables of the film is not just, you know, the climate crisis, but individual state and global inaction in the face of existential threats, right? Like in the movie, it's like a big meteor or whatever that's fallen to earth. So of course, don't look up is like the poetics of like, hey, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. Like just enjoy your, you know, latte and go along your way. But and I, I think like I'm so personally already of that worldview that these are giant hulking problems that we're seeing left and right, these like sort of failures of state to address uh, then and failures of the of the private sector as well to adjust these problems. So I'm watching it and like it wasn't even like depressing to see it. It was just kind of like, yeah, cool. Yep, I get it. So I may finish it 
someday I likely will not. Um, it just did not. I get it. Out. I get it. It's like that movie that the uh, Flight of the Concords guys did where yes. they were all vampires, uh, but they were roommates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was kind of like you totally understood the concept and the humor in 90 seconds. And it really yes. only needed to be like a sketch. It didn't <laughs> need to be a whole movie. Yes, exactly. And then you just have to watch the whole movie and you're like, yep, it's still the same joke. They're vampires that live together. They're roommates. Yeah. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. And I love that movie, but of course I am not, uh, you know, a vampire, so it's not really preaching to my choir. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Like, yeah. And I mean, other than that, there's the, the delightfully bleak news of BBB. I think last time we did a podcast at the end of December, we were like, yay, it's going to get passed by Christmas. (laughs) Oh yes. The build back better bill. Right. And that, that didn't happen. No, Uh, no, no, no. But maybe on the horizon. I don't know. Yeah. What have you heard about the bill? Well, what I've heard is actually still hopeful news. One of our co-founders, Dwayne Peterson, one of the co-founders of Sun Common, has actually been instrumental in the writing and the and sort of the he's been on the advisory board for the writing of the climate provisions of that bill. And he still is assuring me, us at Sun Common, the people that talk to him regularly, this week he's still assuring us that the climate provisions of Build Back Better are still very much on the table and desired even by the moderate holdout uh, Senator Manchin. And I think at this moment, I think it's a really wild thing. I want to say this out loud on a climate-oriented podcast. I would like to thank the, the coal miners' unions that are lobbying so hard for those transitional and transformative climate provisions to pass. The coal miners union want the transition to renewable energy. And it is the coal mine owners' lobbies that have been fighting to kill them. So as (laughs) as a marketing guy at a solar company, allow me to extend a metaphorical hand down to Virginia to say, thank you, coal miners unions. Thank you for pushing for a just transition to renewables. Cheers to that. Wild thing that I never thought I would say out loud. <laughs> I mean, I, I get it because it's it's coal mines and it feels like that's directly juxtaposing uh, clean energy. But at the end of the day, you know, coal miners, right? And coal mining unions are their average working people like yeah. you and me. And they just want good jobs and a sustainable planet and, you know, to be able to support their families. And that's a lot of what Build Back Better is all about. So it's not that surprising that, uh, you know, everyday working people would be like, yes, I want this. Let's do it. And they're really, they're, they're going to the paint on a number of like the, the unions that are pushing for Build Back Better. They're making a lot of really good points. They're saying that locally, Um, The bill does actually provide transitional education, job placement, and they're getting in the weeds of the benefits packages that might come with those new jobs in renewable energy. You know, for better and for worse, you can make all the Zoolander, since we're on film, Zoolander style jokes about the black lung pop. You know, coal miners have had a, as workers, have had a very rough go of it in up to and into the contemporary age. They are down in holes in the earth digging up largely toxic materials that can kill them over a long enough period of exposure, and thus, as a compensatory measure, have 
some really good health benefits, health benefits that are less relevant when you are installing completely clean, renewable energy. And they are trying to go in and negotiate on behalf of their workers to make sure that if it's not going to be comparative benefit packages, that of course compensation comes up in its wake. I think it's really, really good work being done. Uh, when we talk about transitional justice, it's like a really clear example of that work being done by public and private actors uh, in the state. So, you know, kudos to those unions for pushing hard. Kudos to the coal miners who understand that this transition will not actually leave them out of the new economy, but welcome them in. And I really hope that, you know, Maserati Mansion finds some inkling of empathy and forward thinking because you can own a McMansion and you can, you know, fuel your Maserati with gallons of dinosaur bones. But in the end, if there isn't a planet to drive your car around on? What the heck are you fighting for, Joe? Anyway, sorry. Soapbox over. <laughs> yes, this episode is not actually about current climate affairs. We wanted to get into our solutions episode and give everybody a preview for how we're going to be talking about solutions, right? Because yeah, absolutely. There's not really a silver bullet, is there? I mean, we're not going to come out of this with like the number one top thing that we should just drop everything and do, right? Or does yeah. that exist? Is no, that no, no. To find out. It, it, Susanna, thank you so much for starting this off. There is no silver bullet, like single silver bullet solution to climate change. We could be totally like crap marketers and self-serving be like, yeah, like solar panels is the number one only solution to climate change. No, we know that our climate crisis is a product of a system of interlocking factors, right? And so we're going to need multiple solutions working in chorus or in concert to mitigate the worst possible outcomes of this crisis on the time frame that has been laid out by international scientists that were you know, publishing their reports last year. So what we're going to do in each of the episodes uh, of this season is we're going to consider one solution at a time and evaluate them based on four basic factors. And the four that we've laid out are impact, time, cost, and what we're going to call X factor. Like impact makes sense. Yep. Uh, time makes sense. That's like the time it would take to implement it, yes. right? Yes, yes. Cost, obvious. How much is it going to cost to do it? X factor. Like now yeah. I'm thinking about Simon Cowell, like <laughs> someone going to like wheel around in their chair and be like, I hate it. This is the worst <laughs> idea I've ever heard. I think for anyone who's ever been involved in a decision-making process that pulls in the Sigma method, some of these terms might be familiar to you, like impact time. Is this time like a, a secret Harvard fraternity <laughs> thing? I don't know. It's like you get into a room and you put on a different hat and you do the yeah. Sigma method. It, it is. It's it's a not so secret sort of Harvard method, right? Sigma freaking is freaking like, me out, man. Yeah, yeah. What it's are we little, talking about? Freaky. And we're not going to do it to the letter of the Sigma method, but I think there's some good approaches, right? So Sigma asks you to look at like, you know, impact time cost and like individual or unique factors, which we're calling X factors. And yeah, you're right. It's like, I think by looking, by breaking any proposed solution or change down into those factors, we can get a really good sense of how immediate and how effective uh, its impact. Again, there's no silver bullet. So what we need to do is start to sort these proposed solutions into like a, almost like a high, medium and low priority. Because as we know, folks, time is of the essence, right? We have, we're kind of working on a timescale of roughly like, let's say like 90 months until the- 90 months, let's say 90 divided by 12 is seven and a half. Yeah, seven I'm and putting, a half years. Yeah, I'm putting it under 
the UN climate scientists prediction of eight, eight and a half years until that unfortunate sort of feedback loop of temperature rising, because honestly, things take time. And some of these solutions will take time to like cool us down or warm up or whatever you want to call it. So each of these solutions will sort of talk about impact time, cost, and X factor. And before we get into the weeds of how we'll look at each of those factors, I also wanted to bring in another source of information that we consulted when we were putting together the framework for the solutions episode. I actually just got done reading a wonderful book called Super Forecasting, and that's by Philip E. Tetlock and Dan Gardner. And Philip E. Tetlock has basically, uh, he's now become really famous for applying a heck of a lot of scientific method and scientific rigor to the craft of making predictions, to forecasting. There's something that we can take from this methodology that's laid out in this awesome book and apply it to our own evaluation of these proposed solutions. And the thing that we're taking is this really cool insight. So Tetlock found that the thing that really separated weak predictions from strong predictions was applying an actual like numerical zero to 100 numerical score to the likelihood of the predictions. So often their forecasters, their their predictors would like give the usual sort of vernacular based predictions like, oh yeah, it's fairly likely this will happen. or I'm pretty certain this will happen. or It's definitely going to happen. or This will definitely not happen. But it left a lot of language, natural language leaves a lot of wiggle room. And so they started kind of applying numerical scores to their predictions. And they found that by applying numerical scores to their predictions, the sort of strength of their best predictions were actually raised. They were making better forecasts in general. Now, Susanna, I'm just going to go ahead and tell our listeners, point blank, full disclosure, I'm not a climate scientist. I'm not a, you know, political scientist, though I studied political science. Like I'm not an expert enough, I think. Neither of us are experts enough, I think, to apply a numerical score. So I thought it might be Mm. interesting... (laughs) <laughs> I am 96% sure we would not do that right. <laughs> Perfect application of the numerical score. What I'm proposing is that for our four categories, impact, time, cost, X factor, we apply a grade, like a letter grade score from F through A+. It's a little more general. It is a little squishier, like less like direct and precise, but I do think it'll give us a better and more accurate way to sort and prioritize these proposed solutions by the end of the season. Does that feel okay to you? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So when we talk about impact, this is probably the most obvious one for our listener. Um, Basically, like what we're saying is what does the proposed solution change, mitigate, or solve. Like if we were going to do an episode on electric vehicles, for example, we would want to say, oh, like the impact of electric vehicle adoption in America, or we'll be specific when the episode comes, would equal X millions of tons of you know CO2 pulled out of the air every year, every day, every week, right? So impact is really about like, what is the sort of uh, problem that, it, that this solution is mitigating or solving? What's the impact that it's going to make? Does that make sense? It does. But something I'm confused about here is, uh, I mean, should we be assuming that this is going to be adopted 100% or like, where's the nuance there of, you know, if it was adopted 100%, it can make this impact, but, you know, logistical reality is what they are. It's likely that this is not going to have 100% 
adoption, it'll be more like 15% adoption. And with that impact, it's more like X, Y, Z. I think what, what that, that actually kind of refers to X factor as well. It's connected to factors that are really specific to the proposed technology. You're absolutely right. If we could wave a magic wand within a year, have a hundred percent of gas guzzlers off the road and replace them with EVs, certainly it would be like an A plus impact, but we do have to kind of bring it down to ground level. So when we discuss something like electric vehicles, we will, Susanna, be bringing in the reality of the situation before we can assign it a letter grade. So we'll say, oh yeah, like the tech technology of EV, they are 100% less carbon than their gas guzzling counterparts. So yes, like in theory proposed solution, but there is time of getting that out the door and, you know, factories turning over and producing EVs. There's the X factor in the case of EVs of like battery production and all the supply chain issues and sort of mining issues that are uh, incumbent upon that. So yes, not just evaluating the technology, but making it real. Well, and I'm curious too, especially with something like an EV or, you know, buying a new energy efficient fridge, maybe those things take less energy to run, but they took a whole, you know, a lot of energy to create in the first place. So um, are we going to somehow roll that in that there is sort of a, an emissions impact to making the switch as well? hundred percent. And there's already a couple of topics that we're going to be talking about, for example, like carbon capture technologies that we will have to meaningfully evaluate the opportunity cost as well. Like what does it take to get this thing set up? Is it doing more damage than good as it is proposed today? Really, really astute questions. Moving on to time, if you remember just a few minutes ago in the conversation, I talked about a time frame or sort of time horizon of about 90 months. That gets us to about seven and a half years from now. And that gets us to about the border of the IPCC report uh, for that point of no return for a sort of constantly heating planet. So I want to make sure that in the solutions season to make these proposed solutions as real as possible, we evaluate all of them against that time horizon. It's not a lot of time, and that would make some listeners obviously very, very worried. But luckily, there are many solutions that are ready and able to start to chip away at the problem really, really quickly. Yeah, I just want to pause for like a brief moment of panic and like existential screaming. Um, 90 months until yeah. the point of no return. That's yeah. terrifying. Just okay. about enough time anyway, for next. <laughs> all, yeah, just about enough time for all the cells in your body to regenerate once, and we're good. Hey. Hey. But time, I think time is of the essence, obviously, for the climate crisis, and it will also be a major heavy-handed factor in our grading. And of course, cost. Yeah, and cost. That's a, that's a big thing, right? I mean, we all know money is not real, but right. <laughs> um, assuming that it is real and that's something we all care about, we have to consider that in. Like yep. if something is super expensive, it's going to be way harder for us to figure out how to do it. So yep. is it totally. scalable? How much does it cost? Is it something that is sustainable or something we have to keep pouring investment into, that's definitely something to look at too, right? I want to propose that we also put sort of social cost into this category, because I think you're right. Like it, when we, if a, if a voracious listener remembers, like, you know, the economist Keynes said that nothing, nothing is too expensive. Everything can be afforded. It's just a matter of, can we do it? I think that a part of the, can we do it is a social cost. And by social cost, I want to say, not just can people afford it, like can people afford to purchase an EV, which by and large, they are the same cost as gas guzzlers, but there's the social cost of like, will they make the behavior change and sustain that behavior change long enough for the solution, the proposed solutions effect to kick in? 
Like it's great that Ford is releasing an F-150 electrified. It's the same cost as the gas guzzling version. So yeah, like anyone who could afford a gas guzzler could afford the EV, but there's the social cost of like range anxiety and like all the other behavior changes that someone has to make as they get into driving an electric vehicle. So I think social cost plus hard economic cost will be the two factors that come together to determine the cost category. Well, and under social cost, are we also putting things like batteries require lithium, which has to be mined? Right now, it's not being mined in a super ethical way. Like there's certainly a social cost for actually creating these things well beyond, you know, just adoption, but just like the actual impact of making this stuff often in places that are very far away from where they're being consumed. Yes, 100%, Susanna. I think we should absolutely have a pause for kind of the social equity cost as well. I am not so draconian that I will say, especially as like a white person of the like, what used to be called the first world, now the developed world or whatever, the politically correct way of, you know, maintaining superiority over others that we're not superior to. I don't think it's worth sacrificing human life for the protection of other human life on this scale. So I do think that we have to consider the social equity cost as well. So thank you so much for bringing that in. Okay. And then finally, and lastly, yeah, X factor, right? This is the weird one. This is like when we look beyond the clean borders of impact timing and cost, does the proposed solution that we're looking at have like a relationship to any other unique factors to it? You brought up uh, where we were talking about like all the sort of related elements to, for example, electric vehicles. We could say like the impact of an actual electric vehicle is great, but the thing, the X factor that's holding it back is like the proliferation and the installation of EV chargers on a level that reaches gas station distribution in America. That's kind of an X factor. And I think every proposed solution or most proposed solutions will have an X factor or two that might not cleanly fit into the boundaries of impact time and cost. And so what we're going to do in each episode is after we've gone through impact, cost, time, we're going to look at like, okay, was there anything else that we missed or that might kind of not fit into those clean borders? And how would that impact the final letter grade score uh, of this of this proposed solution? All right. And then we're going to sum it all up. Yeah. Like for each grade. Exactly. Like for each of these, as we go through these episodes, We'll kind of go section by section and then we'll kind of wrap them up into a full letter grade. So with so like each episode will essentially produce a discussion of those factors and then we'll grade them. And I'm really interested in maybe even doing something of like a not a brackets system, but like by the end of the season, if we had like three really solid prioritized recommended proposed solutions to the climate crisis. Spoiler alert. Is it going to be number one, solar, (laughs) solar? Number three, solar. No, I'm actually, (laughs) you know what? I'll be perfectly honest. Solar, A plus. (laughs) No, I'm really, I'm really, I'm dedicated to and interested in being as honest as possible. I do know and I believe fully and the science backs fully that like residential solar, for example, does have a substantial impact on the mitigation of carbon output of a household. And we can ladder that up, especially in America, to that is one of the biggest places that you have a negative impact on the environment. If we graded it really fairly, would it get an A plus? Probably not. Would it get better than a passing grade? I think absolutely. But I am interested in even interrogating what we do for a living. Like, I want this to be an honest season where we are looking at the pros and cons of each of these proposed solutions. I think we should do 
I think we should do residential solar for sure. All right. Well, I think this podcast gets uh, an A for impact because we've covered <laughs> this framework really well. We're really excited to kick this season off. We're really excited to be back on the mic with you, our listeners. Suzanne, it's wonderful to be doing this with you again. Happy New Year. And of course, to our listeners, uh, if you're interested in checking out residential or commercial solar, we are trusted partners and advisors in clean renewable energy here in the Hudson Valley and the capital region of New York and in Vermont for SunCommon. You can find us at suncommon.com. And if you have any thoughts, questions, or suggestions of proposed solutions that we should be checking out this season, drop us an email. We're at solarspill at suncommon.com. I'm looking forward to this. I really think solar is going to get an A plus, but we'll see. <laughs> I get, you could be the pro and I'll be the like devil's advocate just so we have a, a fair episode. Let's talk to you soon. Yep, talk to you soon. Cheers, everyone. 